Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. I have been to the movies and seen some new movies on HBO Max. As much as I live and breathe movie theater life, I will miss the watch at home for no extra monies HBO Max plan. For sure doing that for Space Jam for a double feature evening on July 16th. But with all the new movies that are going on and coming around the theater circuit, we are finally entering an exciting new chapter of the Nick Knack Goes to the Movies podcast. But this week, I had not one, but two movies I really wanted to see in theaters. One of these is the fun big blockbuster action fest you need to turn your mind off sometimes in the latest entry in the Fast and Furious saga. And the seeming final entry in the five movie franchise and two season show, this time being the Forever Perch, which I will be exploring the interesting angle of how that movie is possible after the end of the Purge election year. So grab some buttered up popcorn. I'm not because I'm still getting close to that 160 weight if I can manage. At 169, trying real hard to get to that 160. And to the movies we go. Spoilers are plenty if you haven't watched either yet, especially with one of these movies just arriving. So for F9, The Fast Saga, let's get this out of the way. The entire Fast and Furious movie franchise, they're all pretty goofy. I can distinctly remember a few of the plots, or more so the general plot. The first one was great, second one was pretty good, I think. Third one was mad divisive, and after that, I just remember cars, tanks, more things exploding, wild shootouts, and that one with the submarine and cyborg Idris Elba, among other things. So things have gone pretty wild, and that doesn't super change in F9. So let's, I was going to say dive in, but let's drive in? <laughs> uh, in case you forgot, the word family gets thrown around more than with great power comes great responsibility in the various Spider-Man franchises. I don't think that has a MCU utterance to date. We'll see if that changes in the new film coming out. When we see Dom and Mia in farmland and going on a new car chasing adventure, they leave their kid behind and first they don't really explain it, but maybe 30 minutes into the movie, they do try to explain it away by saying Paul Walker's character is going to be a never-seen babysitter. It always comes off as a bit weird. I know they had to find a way to put his character's wife back into the movie plot into everything and fit together. And Mia is Dom's sister, apparently, which I honestly forgot, having not seen one of these in a while. But I can't help but feel that this cheapens everything a bit. But I get that they want to keep Walker's character as part of the franchise. The stunts this franchise has done... Some of them are like logic defying, but the rope bridge scene of having a stray piece of bridge string attaching to a tire and making a car go across a massive body of water successfully is maybe too wild for me. Also to random actor things, and this movie has the usual stable of characters back, along with a few franchise deeper cuts. Kurt Russell has a brief role again. Helen Mirren has a lovely moment, which we will get into. Of course, Han is somehow alive. And he is an amazing part of the franchise. Lucas Black is once again back in the franchise after the intro in one of the weirder movies of the franchise. But like I've said before, well, he does nothing in this movie. In general, I love more scenes and movies slash shows with Shea Wiggum. If you want to see his best work, go to Boardwalk Empire on HBO Max. 
you can also get some quality Michael Shannon there too. When a movie makes fun of itself, you know it gets what both fans and critics think. But having actual dialogue about how improbable it is that Dom and most of his crew are still alive. And they keep all being alive. The jokes of this franchise are endless. And you either hate it or love it? No matter what, you're going to have a fun time with this franchise. Any film in it. Somehow the tone in this entry goes from hardcore serious to some attempt at being heartwarming to some super dumb jokes. It's a lot to process and sort out, and it can be a bit jarring at times. But for the most part, you can sort it all out. It does end up a bit confusing at times, though. Secret Agent Man John Cena is a blast. To magnetizing a car, to catch a flying plane, to ziplining all through Scotland, love it. I can't say I'm super familiar with actor John Cena, but I hope his Peacemaker role, which seems like he'll be making it out of the Suicide Squad film, maybe like five or six characters feel like they're kind of in the final act at least. And he's going to star in his own HBO Max show with the character. You got to be excited for his super hero is not the right word, but we'll go with it introduction. It's not a super villain. He's not a villain. I don't know. We'll see. It's the whole anti-hero thing, I guess. I genuinely forget a ton of characters' names in this franchise. And I just go by Ludacris, Michelle Rodriguez, the woman from the best Resident Evil movie to date. Heck, Dom might be the only character I know by name outside of Han. Speaking of Han who is back from the dead, albeit barely explained, love his character and being back in the fast ride or die world. But the explanation of how he's back from the grave, not so good. We get more Kurt Russell in a flashback, so can't complain, but having seen this element of a story now three times, especially with it happening so early in a franchise movie and just the third, that was clearly not a chronological watch after the fact. The, that will always be jarring. And having him exist and explain, no, he didn't randomly die. No, Jason Statham did not randomly kill him. He's faked his own death and, and that's it. It just, it's always a little confusing. Thinking of Statham in his Fast and Furious role, the parallel has already been played out, and it happens again here with John Cena! But I super missed the prior movie 2F9, which gave us our first Brother Shaw moment, reuniting them on camera, Statham and Luca. They are both good on their own as actors, but together, once again, very fun. And their mom being Helen Mirren? Stop. But actually, don't stop. Also... When I was watching this movie, I knew it after the fact, but I completely forgot Dom had a sister. And I know that that's like franchise buffs of this series who have the whole entire movie DVD Blu-ray case special edition will cry foul at me not knowing base Fast and Furious things. But I really watch these movies for fun and I don't have a deep built-in lore appreciation for any of them. And speaking of that lore... You know, now he has a brother in the 10th movie in. You can't build lore that late in the game. I've said it time and time again. I love Cena, but that adding things deep into the family ties that seemingly existed throughout but clearly have had no prior build didn't work on Friday the 13th or Halloween. And excess lore in a massive built franchise is a lot. I feel like this is me parroting from last week's episode. But to their credit... All the flashbacks do have a super fun treat of all of Dom's crew from the first movie in younger form. 
the muscle guy who died in, I don't know, four, five, or six, Vince, some of these blur together. And the nerdy guy who died in the first one, who always reminded me of a less cool and charismatic version of Mouse in the first Matrix, which I rewatched again this past weekend. I do that way too much, either on DVD, HBO Max, or Peacock. Gosh, that first one was so good. And 4 really needs to be good. But I always love that crew from the OG movie with Mouse, Apoc, Tank, Dozer, Switch, and Cypher. Well, a different Cypher than the one in this movie. And somehow this movie gives Cypher, played by Charlize Theron, the worst haircuts imaginable in this franchise. Look, in the 2020 Netflix film The Old Guard, which had a normal enough haircut, but a brutal bowl cut in 2021, these things are not it in my opinion. It's like that song Kung Fu Fighting. The cars are there, everyone's fighting, there's gunplay, it's all over the place. It's all great. You can turn your mind off and enjoy all the nonsense going on. I don't know what a Fast Furious full weekend marathon would look like, but if this is what you're looking for, no franchise does it better. The tech elements, especially in the later entries, always feels like it should not exist in this movie, loosely based on reality at this point. From seemingly invincible Idris Elba, from the spinoff to insane magnets or legit rocket cars. More on that in a moment. Also, a bit of a letdown with no The Rock or either Shaw brother in a franchise loaded with returners. But there are some newbies, including Guardians and Walking Dead alum Michael Roker. And while I love me some Roker, they barely had anything for him to do. Slapping a long wig on him in a flashback and a bit of his signature character acting is even muted here which is a shame for how much I like his acting. I'm hoping that he gets more time to shine in the Suicide Squad movie, but like I said with John Cena, from the trailers you can kind of tell Roker's character is not going to be around super, super long. But his best moment in this movie is sort of more of a joke in the franchise, him giving Dom a Corona, the official beer of the franchise. That got me. That and yelling family will always be the staple of the franchise and logic death-defying stunts. Also, cameos of Helen Mirren not only just existing, but stealing a car and driving around was bomb. Her having a real action moment to shine in this franchise was beautiful. Speaking of beautiful, anything involving Cardi B. Unrelated to anything else, just in general. But I love her continuing to get acting roles, and I love it and her being a spy lady. Make that the next spin-off fast movie and invite her and her whole lady spy squad over with the family for Coronas afterwards. While the brother reveals of it all being a misunderstanding and their dad needing money, and they were good the whole time, it's a bit expected. Like the eventual forgiveness of Statham seemingly killing Han, but apparently not really, and getting his own spin-off movie with The Rock. The flashback story was a nice accent, even if young Dom was a bit much to handle. But the most too much moment was having the Tokyo Drift Squad send Ludacris off in a space car to over-magnetize a satellite, only then to just space car drive it into it until they get picked up by a different space station. <laughs> Insane things. It does seem like they are billing Theron to be a multiple film arc baddie. We will see how that all works out. This franchise, to this point, I would say has three good villains, and they are all the three British guys we have mentioned multiple times here. The track record for villains is not strong, and most are not multi-film badlies, but assumingly, Thrawn will now be in her third movie as the villain. Also, her Star Wars banter with generic Euro-skinny money-bad guy. 
nerd me loved it, from a heated debate about which Star Wars character he is, from Luke to Han to Yoda. Which seems like a compliment. Yoda is dope and does cool backflips and is crazy strong. But the switch of it being an insult, calling someone Yoda, following it up with them being a puppet and someone's hands up their ass. Hilarious. But most of this movie has Thrawn locked in a plastic cage forever. Which brings up some logic questions, which this movie is chock full of. But like any family franchise movie, they all come together after space wars and magnet battles. And this movie kept doing things, making you think Paul Walker was a character still existing not only in this world, but in the active storyline, which at a point, I get. But I remember his swan song movie sending him off in a beautiful way, and I really liked it. Now it feels like they keep bringing his character all around and they can't show him, and it feels like they could honor the memory and his legacy from the franchise without alluding to him being back and around. The Empty Chair could have been symbolic for us as a fan watching, even if he's not dead in the Fast and Furious world, but having his car pull up, I don't know, it all felt a bit weird to me. Maybe I'm in the minority on that one. For the most part, you get what you expect. A fun, dumb time that is in the shadow of its former self in the early franchise films. But it is a fun step up from the Sharknadoes, which you know I enjoy. Even if you still have to figure out why some things are the way they are, you really just have to turn your brain off for some stuff. Cars Go Boom with name brand actors will always be a fun ride. A few fun driving plays and puns in there for you. So to the latest Purge film, The Forever Purge, having just come off this in theaters, this is almost as aggressive and immediate as a next day review. Now, some might say the Purge franchise is like the Fast and Furious of the horror genre. It may not make you think crazy hard. In fact, sometimes it's better to not overthink these. You kind of know what you're getting from four of the five of these. First one was a home invasion movie, which while it had some star power behind it with Lena Henley, our own Cersei Lannister, and Ethan Hawke. But after that film, the excitement and interest came in seeing what fun this dystopian, not so far into the future, high concept of legalized, therapeutic <laughs> release of anger, which pretty much boils down to a macabre marathon and a mask-wearing murder palooza. Frank Grillo gifted us with a few movie appearances as a punisher light character. And you know how much I like Frank Grillo. While I will eventually do a whole Purge episode, gotta get the purging in after all, you get the gist of the backstory. And when election year left off, the Purge was seemingly going extinct. So it was my surprise that after an early prequel and a few seasons of a very fun TV show around the Purge, we got a surprise sequel. So let's answer the basic. How did we get back to the Purge? Well, here's what I was hoping for. I saw the vision of a flashback to that election year end. The Purge was over. We saw from a new group of characters' perspective from that time. Celebration, jubilation around the end. And on the anniversary of it being canceled, a full-on Purge party broke out and sweeps the nation. Nobody could control it. And then it was the usual group of survivors from diverse backgrounds and genders would try and survive chainsaw juggling clowns and a plethora of party city purgers. Well, instead, we got this political party coming right back into power and more purging picked right on up and the NFFA was back to their old ways. There's not a whole lot past that. And that explanation is a bit weak. Now, if you back-to-backed all five movies in chronological order, which is pretty easy with this franchise, maybe it makes sense. 
but having not done that since 2018, when the first Purge came out, I guess I was at a loss with that weak explanation and setup. But from the meeting some Western folks and their lives around the Purge was all pretty fun. The same racism and political affiliations are littered in this universe, and that is here too. It may not be as aggressive or powerful of a message as either Lovecraft Country or the recent Amazon show them, but you get the point they are trying to make. In general, the point is wealthy white people are up to their bad guy woman shit, and everyone else is masking up and killing each other in creative ways, and sometimes militarized government people get in on the action with weaponized garbage trucks or whatnot. So kind of like season 2 of The Purge Show, we see The Purge come and go pretty early, a lot of people are dying, but most of the time you're watching it from a safe distance with the characters you know all being good to go. And they do some setup in this movie of one woman having some military experience, and that theme is kind of fun throughout her growth. Played by Ana de la Reguera, who you may recognize from her leading role in the recent Army of the Dead Netflix movie. This movie also boasts another zombie genre actor. I knew I recognized Alejandra Ada from somewhere, and it was, albeit a minor role, from Fear the Walking Dead. Honestly, outside of the main bunch of characters in general, I was always enjoying that movie whenever he was on camera, but somehow I always knew he was going to die. For the most part of all these movies, they're a wee bit predictable. You may not get them all right, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to pick out the dead characters walking. And the fun, charismatic, not-lead friend is never going to make it. Will Patton may be the most recognizable, not by name, but definitely by face here. And like Ada, the seeming nice old white man who is questioning the whole Purge thing, even with being one of the wealthier folks in comparison to the other people we've met, will not be around long enough Arguably, he doesn't need to grow, like the more on-the-nose characters who say things like, I am not racist, but... And most likely, if you have to add a but to that sentence, the rest of the sentence is probably not going to go so well. But these movies, and this entry included, are going to have that moment of seeing the other person's perspective. I see where you're coming from, and I have my perch of wealth, or something akin to that. And the unlikely military character is always going to make it, especially if they're younger. If they're older and close to retirement or closing down the shop, chances are pretty slim. Lastly, the Glimmer actor from the first Hunger Games movie is here too. And Levin Rambin's fun, flirty actions with Ada are some of the more fun and heartwarming scenes. And in general, the shooting scenes that they have together to the adorable peanut butter jelly finding metaphor for their budding romance warmed even my cold dead heart. Sadly, this movie doesn't like new love or couples that aren't the main couple. I was genuinely surprised Rambin's character made it to the end. That was my biggest surprise. You know the racist-ish character is going to make it almost to the end, if not to the end. He has to see the error of his ways and either learn from it or sacrifice himself for that person he has never understood or appreciated or even liked before. And this movie ends with a guy who, I don't even want my kids speaking Spanish in my house, to like saying six words in Spanish at the end to prove he's changed. <laughs> oh, they try. They really try sometimes in these movies. So yes, like the Fast and Furious movies, these are a bit formulaic and predictable. No crip whistles this time around, and no super rich lavish people doing horrid things on camera either. But if you like the other non-home invasion movies, 
This has the wild antics and jump scares and political social overtones that, while not subtle, are not at all bad for me. The commentary on our current climate was in the first Purge, the film, not the first one to come out, and it's in the Forever Purge too. Sure, AHS cult might do it better, and honestly, that always felt scarier with how much more realistic it was. But look, the wild purge traps, people being terrible, and kooky masks are all here. And that is the real reason any of us watch these movies. And the new setting of it in the daytime, sometimes it's in the desert, sometimes in the populated cities, and even less under control purge. Some things are different. But this movie was hilariously advertised as like some groundbreaking wild departure from the franchise being super different. But it really isn't all that dissimilar from the franchise roots. The angle of the NFFA not really existing outside of a militarized police force. I'm sure there's some political overtone for that as well. But they rarely make an appearance in this movie. Instead, Frankenstein's monster gets out of control and the mass people are purging up a storm. And you kind of have three warring factions brewing in this movie. Where obviously it was purgers and NFFA folk against regular people. Now it's an all-out war, and while it doesn't look all that different, at times you wonder if the NFFA will save the day. But if you marathon these movies before seeing this in theaters, you may feel more of the comeuppance of this government and political party. In the purge world, the majority of people who are not rich or white are the marginalized group, who are incredibly not subtly hunted down year in and year out. That's the whole shtick. And with this being the vision of America being pushed, this movie takes the opportunity to question the American dream and immigrants, which, while not subtle, is still an interesting angle to see this from people who are immigrants. And by the end of the film, having the non-purge NFFA folk race to the border of either Canada or Mexico, and having the Americans be the immigrants and refugees. It's a fun mix-up, and yeah, if the purge is 24-7, probably not the best place to live. One thing that cracked me up a bit was someone asking the day after the scheduled purge where everyone was. Like, you gotta assume that if a lot of people are missing a day after the 12-hour kill holiday, they probably aren't coming back. That part was not good. I mean, it was such a rough question to ask that I actually laughed with it being the fifth film. Once the final conflict happens, which this film does feel like it ends a bit early, coming in at just 1 hour and 43 minutes, you get some of the more fun moments from using cowboy lassoing skills while running out of ammo, dynamite bow and arrow attacks, things happening a mile a minute. And while these movies are normally heart-pounding action to the end, this was goofy, but also super fun and enjoyable. Also, this tagline of, this attempt of cutesy wordplay of mask-wearing wild people doesn't sit right with the name being the Forever After Purge, which has to be or sounds like a happily ever after fairy tale rift, right? I mean, the amount of people saying Forever Purge in this movie feels like an overuse of title dropping too. It may have been in the trailer, but the white guy yelling speak English to the action hero catchphrase before shooting the bad guy, does this translate? That is still as amazing, once again in a goofy way, but it is as good as you would have thought it would have looked in the preview. So you know you will like this before you see it. Likewise, you will not be swayed by this entry if you already have made up your mind after watching The Purge Anarchy or, or any entry after the first one. 
But if you're looking for a jump scare murder party, not super gory, but an action fest that goes full throttle, this is for you. And if you want a not-so-subtle allegory for the tense climate we live in politically and socially, this movie will get you that too. And one final point. There are, of course, retreads of previous plot points in this movie. The one I immediately noticed, partly from my Boardwalk Empire days, was, you know, they had Michael Kenneth Williams in The Purge Anarchy, and I was all about it and him. In general, I like him in almost every role he's in. Obviously. He was the revolutionary leader who had TV appearances speaking out against the Purge, and eventually we saw him in action kicking Purger butt. Well, this movie pretty much does the exact same thing with the character of Xavier, played by Gregory Zargoza. And while not bad by any stretch, his hiding in a mask and killing guy scene was not last so good, but still very good. You kind of already had this story. But there was something fun with Native American and Mexican people having to be the saviors of white America, trying to leave their apocalyptic hellscape country that Party City must make a fortune on. Moral of the story, therapy or long gym sessions are probably better ways to get your feelings out. And both of these movies being talked about today don't do a whole lot to excite or challenge their formulas, but they're both fun chapters in their respective lores. So a new saga we're doing here, we're not doing rankings, we're doing so many new movies. I've talked about Letterboxd before, the amazing social media movie website. You can rate movies, see what your friends are rating movies, write reviews. It's the best version of social media as far as I'm concerned. Well, of course I have an account. I still have only written a few reviews, a lot of times for some of those Halloween, Friday the 13th movies, but we're working on it, we're getting there. But what I want to do on this show is when we see some movies... Throw out some reviews. Now, I am a very big proponent of the 10-number system that IMDb does. But we got to go with our 5-star rating system that Letterboxd provides. Just know that there is points on their system. So you can count it out as half-star is 1, 3 stars is 6, and go from it that way. But I will be saying these in stars to match with the Letterboxd system. So F9, the Fast Saga. Really close between two and a half to three stars. I ended up going two and a half, partly because I feel like a lot of times the action was fun and I got and enjoyed what I had. But it feels kind of like a five out of ten if you go the number scale. And it was fun, but there were times when you were kind of groaning through this movie. So I don't know if that will change when I do a Fast Furious binge through. I'm sure the first one will be much higher than anything else. We will see. You'd think I would do the same for The Forever Purge, but honestly, as much as it might have been at times a little dumber, I really enjoyed The Forever Purge. I'm not saying it's a stalwart 9 out of 10, 4.5 star movie, but I kind of feel like I could throw it at a 3. A 3 of 5 feels little above average. It's fun, and if you like the other Purge movies, you're going to probably like this. I do think... When you look back at all five of these movies, you will watch the first Purge movie, not the first Purge title, the first one to come out. And I think you'll say, yeah, that's not as good as the other ones seeing the Wild and Out action. And I feel like I don't think any of these movies are going to be outright better. (laughs) They might all be a three out of five, if anything. Nothing's going to probably break into that four star range. But for now, Forever Purge, three out of five. So... With some new movies to watch in theaters and some new Knickknack Ghost of the Movies content, with some new Letterboxd show reveals, 100% check us out there as well. 
there is some fun excitement along the way and coming in the near future for our binging fun fandom, including the final MCU podcast episode for y'all finally dropping next week. I know I've been pushing this out, out and out and out for more and more horror things, but next week has to happen because that Black Widow movie is coming next weekend. The Marvel film release we've all been waiting for on Disney Plus Premiere Access, if you want to do that way, or in theaters. I already got my ticket, and I am ready to get down to clown. The MCU shows are grand. Still figuring out my take on Loki, but nothing can compare to the movie releases. So, if you caught either the Forever Purge or F9, what did you think? And what are you looking forward to seeing next on either streaming services or in theaters? I know a new Netflix Resident Evil and horror anthology are both coming at me, and a new Kingdom story, one of the best zombie stories I have ever seen, and we have a Space Jam sequel that will hopefully prove my initial opinions wrong and actually be good. TBD, but a lot of things coming out regardless. Well, let me know on social at either Movies or knickknack underscore IC, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Well, that is all for now, so cheers and until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this see you later, alligator.